Okay, everyone, go ahead and grab a seat if you don't mind. Uh, so uh, Jerry Williams and Daniel McIntosh and myself, we were in uh, Dallas this week, and we were just reflecting um, uh, on, the fl- on the plane ride or at a restaurant or something and just wanted to extend a thank you to our body uh, for sending us to places uh, like Dallas. Uh, we were able to get some really good training and those types of things. Uh, but anyway, thank you for your investment into our lives. We are able to go to the Village Church, and some of you have been blessed by that ministry and uh, uh, the, the staff and uh, the pastors there at that church in Dallas. And so anyway, we just, we were really, really grateful for our church body, really grateful for you all, and really thankful that uh, we were able to get out of town and get a new perspective, and uh, it really was refreshing and, and really good to go. Um, all right, so we are in a, a series called The Culture of Care, and we are taking a lot of our material from a book uh, by Paul David Tripp, and it's called The Instruments uh, in the Hands of the Redeemer. And last summer, there was a group of people, we call ourselves the community care team, uh, we were able to pull away for about 12 weeks and go through a very stringent uh, training through this book and through these concepts. And so I just wanted to lay the groundwork a little bit that some of this or a lot of these things are not our concepts. We're taking that from the trip material. So if it seems familiar, if you've read it before, uh, we would actually encourage you to pick up instruments. Uh, it's, it's a pretty hefty book, right? So it would take you a little bit to go through, but it's totally worth it, those kinds of things. But yeah, so when we're creating a culture of care, um, what Paul David Tripp tells us is that we need to enter into people's lives in four different spectrums, okay? We have to, first and foremost, we have to love them well, all right? The second thing is we have to know them well. Then we have to speak to them, all right? We actually have to give words away, and then we're actually, actually to come alongside them with works or actions or call them up to works or call them toward action and so that their lives example Christ more than they, um, uh, they, they, than they are recognizable. So love and know and speak and do, these are kind of the four quadrants in which we are going to be exploring. Today is we are in the love quadrant, but just know next week in the weeks to follow, we're going to go through this kind of paradigm, is that we have, to, we have to love each other well. Second, we've got to know each other. We have to come alongside one another. The third is we have to speak. We actually have to use words. We have to become ambassadors of Christ. And secondly, or lastly, this do part is this, this action, putting faith in action. And uh, so that's, that's where we're going. And because We do not want, as a a body of believers, what we do not want is we don't want for the elders and the pastors and the staff, we don't think it is our job to do the work of the ministry. All right, let me say that one more time. We do not believe that the elders or the staff or the pastors that you have hired, right, and are currently working 50 hours a week toward the ministry, we do not believe that we are the only ones that are to be doing the work of the ministry, Now, this may be a little bit of a change for you, right? If you've grown up in church, if you looked at, you know, pastor, if you looked at, you know, these these guys that do it professionally, you may say to yourself, they have all the answers. Let's let them do it. Well, in Ephesians 4, 
All right, this is a beautiful little passage we're not talking about today, but it, it, there's in Ephesians 4, there's this beautiful passage where the body, right, the church of Jesus is actually are able to build each other up or to build itself up in love. And that's what we want us to do. We want us to create or become a culture of care where every one of you, whether you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, whether you're in college, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a parent, we want you to look at the kingdom of God, right, and see it as it's our responsibility to implant ourselves in the lives of other people. And that's what we're going to, that's, and that's what we'll be doing for the next four weeks. In review of last week, remember Jesus comes in, uh, in John chapter 13 and he brings a new commandment. All right, raise your hand, class, if you remember what this new commandment is. It is to love one another, right? All right, so this is, this is where he comes. He says, this is, this is the new matrix. This is the new place in which you are going to put all of your energy and effort is to love or have that love expressed into other people's lives. Jesus, in, in, a, in a strange way, brings, we bring glory to the Father by, by something, by loving other people. This is remarkable, right? So the, the love that you have for other people, the sacrifice that you have for other people, is how you can express this new commandment that, God, that Jesus has given to us. All right, so first and foremost, let's jump into uh, our passages today. You have it uh, at your disposal. We'll start with Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3. I'm in Romans 8. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and following. Colossians chapter 3, 12 and following. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, passionate hearts, kindness. Put on these things, passionate hearts, kindness. Put on humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must forgive. This is Colossians 3 verse, verse uh, 12. And here's what Paul is trying to tell us. It says early on in 12 and 13, it's saying, hey, listen, your love is going to have to be expressed towards someone else. The fact is, is that I am a mess. The other fact is that you are a mess. Amen? Are we okay with that? Is that, or is, that too, is that too close, too personal, too early to say, I am a mess? All right, well, you practice. All right. Now, don't say it if you don't believe it, right? If you don't mean it, right? But if you kick the dog, right, or yell at your kid, you know, this morning, right, or your iron burnt something, you said something you shouldn't, just say, I am a mess. I'm a mess. All right, so this is, this is the idea, all right, here is that we all need one another because we are all on the same boat, all right? The playing field is completely leveled at this point is that we have sin in our hearts and oftentimes the sin in our heart come bubbling over in our actions and our words and our motivations. And so if I'm a mess and you're a mess, that means that the church of Jesus Christ really is a mess. And we're going to need something to kind of get us out of our messness. Well, kind of I'll tip my hat. The idea of getting out of mess is that we're probably never going to dodge it because we really are a mess and we'll die a mess. And that's the reason that we'll die is because we are a mess. And it's, it's our just final breath. 
is the fact that we need some help. And so the church is a messy place. It's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful place. But we really are. I mean, it's, it's a messy place with, with sinful human beings that are always interacting with one another. There will be times and places where, whether it's not just your family, it's not just your neighbors, but the people inside the church will disappoint you greatly. There will be times and places where it's not just your family or neighbors. It will be the people inside the church of Christ that won't just hurt you, right? But will come alongside and maybe even accuse you of things. Will speak ill of you. And I can continue on and on and on. Our propensity to sin. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are evil. And so often we veer to one another, away from the Lord, and we begin to bite one another. And so what is going to happen? What are we going to do with this kind of rub, right? Because all of us, whether we're saying it out loud or not, all of us are saying, wouldn't it be nice if, and we fill in the blank. If you're like me, you're like, wouldn't it be nice if, after I got home from a long day's work, I was able to throw my my keys in my junk drawer, and I'd be able to sit in my chair and just scroll endlessly and just look at a noose or maybe check out, how the Georgia Bulldogs are doing, or just just do something. But I want to tune all of those people out. And when they, these children, come and like, hey, daddy, you want to do this? Hey, daddy, you want to do this? I'm like, no, I don't, right? And I usually don't say it that nicely. Because wouldn't it be nice if I was able to have a little peace when I got home? Or wouldn't it be nice if my boss acted like a human being rather like some monster maniac who's always out to get me. Wouldn't it be nice to have a church that whatever it is, there is a blank and we're like, we're putting our like best picture in front. Well, this morning we're trying to kind of shut down that picture of whatever that idealism is and to look instead at these scriptures and say what instead should be our picture of those types of things. And so the lacking in our lives, as Paul is about to tell us, the lacking in our lives is not sin. Sin is not our problem. Okay, I'll say it again. Sin is not our problem. The problem is that you and I have not been able to express love in a God-fearing, God-honoring, God-glorifying way. The problem is not sin. Because you and I cannot dodge it. The problem is that you and I, we haven't held up this new ideal, this new understanding of the way that we express ourselves is through the self-sacrificing love that honors Christ Jesus and glorifies God. At the end of the day, that's all I want to tell you this morning, is that we are calling you up toward a life of giving your life away. Not to become sinless. That's Jesus' job right? And he did it wonderfully, is to give up your life in a self-sacrificing love. Because it's love. It really is love that lets the, the axis of the world truly rotate. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? This is the purpose, or this is the motivation to send Jesus, is what? It's love. And so what he's calling us to do 
is to resemble a little bit of that self-sacrificing love. It was the love of Jesus that came to seek and to save the lost, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The motivation, the axis, the reason that Jesus gets up out of bed every morning when he was on this planet was out of love. And so what we are able to do in this idea of creating this culture of care is we have to realize that love is really at the center. It's at the core of everything else that we'll talk about for the next month. The idea is that we have these relationships that are on our horizon. So we horizontally, we have to understand love. But vertically, we have to realize that Jesus is on the throne, that God needs to be glorified, and that is our motivation. And so we need to make a a connection men and women. We have to make a connection between our daily lives, right, and the idea that our in and out of our daily lives comes ministry opportunities. I'm not the only minister in the room. The person to your left and to the right and the person occupying the seat that you're in right now, we are all ministers of the gospel. If there's a guess you didn't wake up this morning and say, I, Kathy Long, minister of the gospel, right? We see ourselves in so many other things. We see each other as maybe a father or a mother or a boss or employee or just a kid, a middle school kid, right? A high school kid, a college kid, student, whatever. But we don't see ourselves as ministers, like truly being able to participate in the ministry of the gospel, And so what we're trying to do is to connect your daily life, your daily rhythms with the idea that you can see redemption day in and day out if, if you sacrifice more often than not. Or you walk into the rhythms of your life with this expression of self-sacrifice for other people. It's possible. And here's how I know it's possible. Who's the one person in your life that has shown you Jesus more than any other person on the planet? How would you like for you to write him or her name down on a piece of paper? Like, who's that person that walked alongside you and showed you Jesus? Who modeled Jesus? Who taught you about Jesus? Is there one person in your life that shaped you spiritually so that the person that you are now is you can give credit to what that person was able to do. Who is that person? There's a good chance that all the famous pastors and preachers in the entire world are probably not on your sheet of paper. There's a good chance that the person that's on your sheet of paper is a guy or a gal who looks a lot like you, who may not be called or on a stage or strapped to a mic, but a very faithful man or woman who walked alongside you. And so in your darkest moments, they tended to have more wisdom than you had. In your greatest celebration, they were able to hug you and embrace you and smile and have joy for you. And in your sin, both tell you the truth and then also be able to extend all kinds of grace. I wonder if 
we've been, we've been putting ministry up on a pedestal or up on a platform where it does not belong. The ministry of Jesus Christ belongs in the hearts and the souls and the hands and the seats of the body of Jesus Christ. That means you and me together creating a culture, a community of care where we can care for one another. Do you have that kind of vision for your life? That in 10 or 12 or 15 years, someone sitting in a random church in a gym, right, listening to a a message may write your name on a piece of paper because of the influence, the self-sacrificing love that is expressed in your day-to-day life. Ministry is not some unbelievable moment. It's a thousand little moments where you enter into people's lives in a way that you sacrifice for them. And that's the vision of what it means to have a culture, a culture of care where men and women and middle schoolers and high schoolers are always aware, always have their antennae out looking for potential grief, potential love, potential heartache, potential wounds, potential celebrations. And taking it, taking the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the from the grave and entering into their world wherever they are and not letting go until Jesus allows you to relinquish. That's what it means to have a culture of care. So what are we going to need? Here we go. We're going to go back to 12 and we're just going to read it all the way through. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, number one. Number two, put on kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is, has a complaint against one another, right? This is the grievance. This is the frustration, right? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Verse 14. And above all else, right? If you're reading this, and above all else, above is a big word in the human language, right? There's above, below, in the middle, but above is usually a bigger word, right? So you're like, oh, okay, this must be pretty important. Above all else, I've got it underlined, you should too. Above all else, put on love, all right? This is remarkable, isn't it? This is kind of your understanding the essence of God. Your understanding the essence of who he is as he expresses himself in love. Which binds everything together. That's another big word. Everything. Which binds, wraps, right? Christmas, bows, wraps, binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is one exclusive verse. In counseling, they tell you not to use exclusive uh, words, right? But, I mean, this is exclusive after exclusive. The word above and everything and in perfect harmony. This is what it means to have and become a community who truly cares one another. Is verse 14. And above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace, and this is what happens, right? This This is the overflow. 
and the peace of God. And let the peace of God rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body and be thankful. Again, here's another expression. Here's another uh, waterfall. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And also singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness with your hearts to God. And whatever you do, another exclusive term, and in whatever you do, whether word or deed, that pretty much wraps it up, do everything. There's another one. Do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God our Father through him. This is what it means. This is one of the clearest calls to your personal ministry, all right? And that's, that's what we're trying to replace. We're trying to get rid of kind of what we, people have called pastoral ministry, which is right and good, and give you personal ministry. This is one of the greatest a few verses to talk about what it means to become a minister for you personally to minister to others, for you to lay down your lives for one another. And how did they, how, what kind of examples do they use? Simply clothing, right? You and I put on things today, right? Some of us have shirts on, some of us has dresses on, some pants, but we all put something on and if you don't have something on, you're going to get arrested or you're hopefully under one years old. All right, so these are the parameters, right? But you have to put on something. And this is what, this is the language in 12 and following, is for you to put on something, for you to put on meekness, for you to put on gentleness. But above all things, what are you to put on? You're to put on love. Every morning when you get up, you'll button a shirt or you'll tighten a belt. And I want this verse to be seared in your mind that every time I do not walk out of my bedroom, much less my house, much less into public naked, I have to put on something, right? And so with every piece of clothing, every wool sock, every tied shoe, every pressed collar, I want you to understand above all else, even more important than covering all of this, which is a good, that's a grace to all of y'all to cover all this up, right? The bigger grace is to put on love. And this is what it means to have or to walk into a culture of care. And the way that culture of care actually happens is when there is a gigantic chasm or a huge hole or some gaping wound that you and I are confronted with. Let's, let's read this list one more time. And beloved, have compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiveness. Where exactly do you need forgiveness expressed? How are you going to put on forgiveness? The only way for forgiveness to be extended is if there's this huge chasm of hurt and pain and being wronged. Where exactly are you going to find gentleness? Well, it's probably when someone has been harsh or abrupt or too strong. Where exactly are you going to bear with one another? It's probably when someone is asking too much or maybe even being oppressive. The only way that you can do this well is to walk in not toward comfort, 
but walk in toward these places of discomfort. And in fact, our very nature is to respond and walk away. In fact, what Paul is asking us to is walk toward these things and to put on these things so that Christ may be glorified. The problem in a society, right, that struggles is not necessarily sin. It's sin that is creating an opportunity for you to be a personal ministry, right? The problem is not sin. In fact, it's, I mean, this whole list is this idea that it's sin that allows you to now become, this may be too strong, but to become a supernatural agent, to do something that is not natural and against your flesh, but instead something that is truly spirit-infused. And so that's what it means, is to put on these things. And so to put on is this idea, is that, uh, I mean, think about this, is this, this perfect harmony. This is a really, really strong phrase, again, just for you to, to, to highlight or underline and come back um, later, is that there's very few things in the scriptures that are called perfect. But when you put on love and that love is expressed toward another person, that is called perfect. Not perfect in every way? No. But you have experienced perfection. You have, perf- you have experienced completeness where you are able to walk in toward other people. And so we want you to have a bigger vision for your life. We want you to walk toward other people. We want you to become a minister of the gospel. And so therefore, become a culture where we care for one another. All right? So that's our kind of horizontal view. But what is the motivation for all this? Why exactly should we get out of the bed in the morning? Let's flip to Romans 8. Romans 8, 31 and following. You have it in your worship guide. I'll give you a second to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. So this... We were understanding the, uh, the, horiz- uh, the horizontal. Now we're going to talk just about the love of the Father. What is the motivation here? This is why we love. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh boy, these are fighting words. Who can, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all. Again, now that you start seeing this idea of love or the definition of love or the example of what love is, you see it almost in, I mean, in tons of passages. Here's this Jesus. How did Jesus express love? By laying down his life for others. Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also, which graciously give us all? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that was the one who is raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. That is written, for your sake we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
In all these things, we are moving, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life or angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things that are to come, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you? Nothing. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Over and over and over in Romans 8, it tells you that you are secure. What he is talking about here is not, is a love that is so much more than any of us have ever experienced. It's this word that's for covenantal love throughout the scripture. And the covenantal love, the way that you can define it pretty easily is, is it's less about I love you right here and now and more about I will love you in the future. So that's what covenantal love is. Sure, you can say, I love you here and now, but how can you know that someone loves you? It's when it has been completed in the future. So I love you, maybe, sure, yeah, but what, what's more important or what's stronger than that is that I will love you. The future tenses in this passage is rem- remarkable, that you and I have been held strong, fast in the love of Christ Jesus. And we will be able to express that in the future. And that gives us the motivation to love other people. And so do you have troubles with your spouse, right? Are you so very bitter or frustrated about what he or she is able to do in your life to just get you wound up more than anybody else on the planet, right? We can all say that. But if we are looking at that spouse to be the love that we need them to be, they will always fail. What do we then, what should we do? We should look back at the gospel. We should look back at the good news. We should look back at Romans 8 and say, this is where love is found. It's found in what Jesus has done from us, that nothing can separate us from it. Nothing. That is a strong, exclusive term. Neither death nor life, sword, famine, nothing is going to separate us from what Christ has done for us. And so if you have a problem with your spouse, which we all do, which is okay to say, right? And if we have a hard time loving that other person and it becomes perpetual and you become bitter and you become enraged and frustrated, I would say that it is less about your spouse and more about your relationship with God because you failed to put the proper thing in focus. Where you have put your spouse in focus, you need to first understand how you were loved and you are secure that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so how are we going to become a culture of care? We have to take care of one another. We have to put on clothing and we have to put on these things, especially the love of Christ Jesus. But we have to understand that our motivation is that what is first done for us in Christ Jesus, that nothing can separate us from him. So love is never solo. Love is never solo. How was love first expressed before creation? Inside the Trinity, right? Love has never been solo. It's always been in community. How is the love of the Trinity expressed in creation? The overflow of Adam and Eve 
immediately given us a context of community. And from that point on, God himself has been calling people and drawing people, what? To himself and to create a new bond, to create a new relationship. The love of Christ Jesus, personal ministry is never solo. It's always found in its completion inside community. We want a greater, bigger vision for your life. We don't want you to be isolated or solo any longer. We want you to see, we want you to believe that you have the power to change others through the being sacrificial or expressing sacrificial love toward others. We believe that. And we don't want to believe that for you more than you believe it in yourself. In fact, that's why we do community groups around here is because we need to sit around circles with people that are different from us in different life stages than us because we are incomplete. That's why so many of us sit in circles because we need to go, oh, I'm a part of the unit. And so when Jane Richardson and I, when we are in community group together, I need Jane and I need Jane's stories. I need Jane's perspective. And more importantly, I need Jane's prayers for me and my wife, my family, my, and my marriage. And you do too. And so if you've all been blessed by Jane Richardson, which you all have, it's amazing, she's great, right? Just think if it wasn't just needing Jane, but actually becoming Jane-like, where you just are salt and light, engaging others, interceding in prayer, buying groceries, babysitting somebody's kids, offering a note, writing a card, sending a text message. This is not rocket science, people. It's walking in the spirit and allowing him to put names and people on your, on your heart and mind and, and using that as an opportunity to love one another. And the reason that we're able to do this is because we first were loved by Christ Jesus. Let's flip back to Colossians 3 and we'll end. Verse 17, I would love for you all to memorize this this week if you can. It's really easy. It's got a cadence to it. And so this is, this is, should be the kind of the mantra of your life. And in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever we do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. We worship God through the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus modeled for us what it's like to be, you know, to be a minister. is to lay down his life for us. And so if we are doing things, everything in the name, or in the word or deed, in the name of Jesus, our words and our actions need to start to feel and start to sound more self-sacrificial. Let me pray for us. And so Jesus, as we walk into communion, as we realize that this is an expression of what you have done for us, that you have laid down your life so that we can, that we can experience forgiveness of sin. Before we take of this Holy Communion, 
before we express our gratefulness to you, I would love for us to first to spend a few minutes confessing our sin of, of isolation. If you find yourself as a recluse or removing yourself from others, especially from the body of Christ, it tells us that we were built for community. If the, if the Godhead, if the Trinity was built for community, so are you. And so if you have been too isolated, just hold out your hands and say, Lord, I need you. I need to be in a relationship with you. And the benefits of that relationship is so beautiful. The second prayer is a prayer of boldness, a prayer of bravery, and a prayer of identity. God has made you, whatever your name is, an ambassador. God has made you a witness. God has made you to be a minister, a personal minister to those around you. If you have self-doubt this morning, I'd love for you to hold your hands out and say, Lord, I am full and I'm filled with self-doubt as if I don't have it. I don't have what it takes to be a blessing to others, to share Christ with others. Confess that sin of self-doubt, knowing that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. And he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Be bold and be brave, be strong, have a bigger vision of your life. And so Jesus, as we individually are all grappling with this, I pray now that your Holy Spirit are doing something unifying in our spirit, in our, in our body, that your Holy Spirit is drawing us and binding us and bringing us together, that we truly can be a community and we can create a culture of care where the very nucleus and the very center is this love that is expressed by our sacrifice where we lay down our lives for other people we see this every week in your communion table and so help us to see it afresh and anew this morning in your name we pray amen and so how did jesus love us that he gave of his very body for us. How did Jesus love us? By having his blood shed and poured out for the forgiveness of sins. If you are a believer this morning, if you walk with Jesus or in fellowship with Jesus, we would encourage you to come and partake of this meal. This meal is an expression of love. I know it may be weird, right? But for you, as you take communion this morning, just say, I love you, Christ Jesus, in your heart and your mind. But just express his love for you is that he gave his life. Maybe even in your own heart, you need to say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you. And so there's men all around the room. All right, they've got bread and they've got juice. I'll be up front serving as well. And so go ahead and stand and take. Um, but um, we would encourage you um, to take as much time as you need this morning. Uh, but when you step out, step out in boldness and bravery, knowing that God has called you into a life of sacrifice.